This is part two of a two-part series with Builder. In part one, Steve reviewed all of the capabilities that Builder has to offer. I was so blown away that I was able to actually get a job from Steve at Builder.io as a dev advocate. So I'm super excited about this episode, as you will see soon. And Brittany joins me, and we cover the Figma to Builder concept, as well as all of the other visualizations within Builder.io. I hope you enjoy. This episode is sponsored by Builder.io, visually build on your tech stack. Welcome back, peeps, to Perfect.dev, where we give you cats the freshest dose of dev snacks. Now with your amazing hosts, Alex Patterson and Brittany Postma. We have Steve Sewell from Builder.io with us, which is our part two for Builder.io. Interestingly enough, a, a long time passed since we, we did the uh, first version of this, and I am lucky enough to say I now work at Builder.io, which is, which is pretty exciting. And uh, thanks to, <laughs> thanks goes out to Steve for, uh, I don't know, like considering me smart enough to join this incredible team that you've put together. It was a great fit. We're really excited. It's awesome. There's going to be some fun new things. So we are hitting 22 uh, in stride and I'm going to shoot off. Here's some fireworks for us. <laughs> Welcome to 2022. <laughs> so in today's episode, what we're going to cover um, is more of the visual editor of Builder.io. And Steve will probably have to help me through a lot of this. I'm still new to it all, but we're going to show a quick example of how to kind of go from Figma and go from like a designer's view, which Brittany has uh, been able to help me out with because I'm terrible at design. So thank you, Brittany. Um, <laughs> and I'll, sh- I'll share our Figma screen and kind of how Builder can actually take Figma and move that over into a Builder context and then how you consume that into like a Builder site. And so we're using Coding Cat as kind of an example, like I try to do with everything, and uh, we'll walk through that. So stay tuned, and here we go. Probably more of a visual episode today if you're on the audio side. That's true. That's true. If you're on, if you're on the pod, jump over to YouTube. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so I'm going to go into this mode. We'll see how well this works with our photos up still. Um, so I want to show us, here is Coding Cat Dev's current sponsor, if I can spell sponsorship page. So this is a terrible page that I threw together in like five minutes one night um, from sl- a slide deck that we had. So I just exported the slide deck. These are all images, which is terrible. Like we don't want <laughs> images. And it goes all the way down this crazy list of please sponsor us. And then it has one form on the very bottom. And so our goal is to take these photos, um, essentially, and make them into something that's like consumable through Figma. So Brittany uh, had to design that page for us. And I'll jump over to Figma now, unless you want to, Brittany. Do you want to do the Figma sharing? No, you go for it. You've got everything (laughs) set up on your end. I don't want to mess with it right now. Okay. I'm going to share my Figma screen. It's probably a little too small, so let me uh, let me bounce this to the right spot on my screen. Okay, and this is probably where our photos will get in the way. Um, so, Steve, you can definitely help us out with this, but essentially, what we have here is um, a use of auto layout in Figma um, from a builder's perspective. And the reason that we need to use this kind of auto layout, do you want to talk a minute about like 
how blocks kind of work in Builder and what that means for, for using that? Yes. No, absolutely. I mean, this is one of the fundamental challenges of any type of design to code tooling, which is that in the design context, you just want to put things where they should go, play around and make edits quickly to see what looks good to you or feels right. Um, but then ultimately you need to transform that to code, which needs to fit every single possible screen dimension elegantly. And people have tried a million possible solutions to this. And what really seems to be the winner over a long period of time is something like a Flexbox layout, something that's basically made out of rows and columns. And uh, you know, once you wrap your mind around that, it works quite elegantly. You know, Things just magically fit the different screens and it works really, really nicely. And so in the case of bringing you know, a Figma design, an absolute positions design over to any type of responsive design, you know, with Builder's sort of unique bit that it's still your code base, you know, but we can still pull in visually created designs into whatever site or app that you've created. So it's not like this, uh, you know, design everything in a no code solution. But, you know, if you want to go in and edit the code, you're kind of constrained or the reverse that usually a larger business will do, which is code everything. And then, you know, as soon as somebody wants to like your case, actually your case is a very common one, which is using a more restrictive CMS, which is more of the norm today. Uh, you don't have a lot of flexibility to just upload content quickly. That's very bespoke. So we see what you've done, done a lot, which is people just put big images around their website. <laughs> and it's like, no, it's a lot of problems, ADA responses, et cetera. People do it because they just don't have a better solution. So in our case, you know, we need to pull those things in and we need to make them responsive. So we need to make them essentially work like Flexbox rows and columns and then the browser magic, any most, a lot of different tools can make them automatically fit different screen sizes. And I, so, I think from, from both sides, we've probably all been in the, this scenario where it's like, you're a designer and you're like, I want it to look exactly like this down to the pixel. And the developer's like, I cannot do that like that because on this screen it'll look like this and on that screen it'll look like this other thing and and in a different browser a flight, right it will be completely different <laughs> right and so it's, it's exactly. kind of like this happy medium and it's so i'm so thankful that in browsers today we have flexbox we have grid and all these nice tools that kind of just allow things to float and magically like end up where they're supposed to be um so going into figma uh, i'll jump over there again what traditionally you would do over here. So let's let's take, for instance, this fun little uh, heart-shaped cat person. Someone would come out here, they'd drag a box, and then they'd say, okay, I want this color to be that. And then they would say, I need this cat right over here. I'm totally messing everything up, Brittany. Don't kill me. Uh, where'd my box go? So you'd go like that and then you'd say, okay, I'm going to put this cat right there and that's where I always want it. And this text I'm going to put over here as well, maybe. <laughs> Sorry, bear with me. In the frame. And there. And then I'd be like, okay, developer, go make this look exactly like this. And they'd come out here and they'd click on this and they'd go, okay. Here's, here's what my CSS is. Here's how it's positioned. Um, it's probably really small, but it's got like these stylings. And then you'd go click on the cat and it would say, okay, well, I need to be exactly positioned right here. And here's all my margins and things like that. And this breaks down a thousand percent of the time because it's like so difficult to get this exactly how a designer wants it for a developer's mind. And so what we're trying to accomplish a little bit is to be able to not 
do that and come in here and say, okay, designer, could you flip your mind just a little bit? Come in here, create a, for us, essentially take that picture and make a square box, but make sure it fits within like constraints. So a constraint for us would be, okay, this auto thing is going to say, go ahead and use this full container, stretch all the way across. And then as we come down, go ahead and put this in the middle, not like a position pixel or anything like that, but just center it. And then as we continue down, it, it does that whole flow all the way down through here. And it's all based on like flex box moving and kind of knowing that it needs to go left justified or I'm using poor terms, but flex end, flex start, things like that. So everything that a browser would know, you start to end up with on the, um, on the Figma side. And that's how it kind of allows us to bring those things into Builder. And I'm probably saying all that poorly, but what do you think so far? Is this, is this a decent description of how design's probably going to have to shift their mindset? No, this is spot on. And we're seeing an overall trend in sort of design tooling to try and support responsiveness, right? So there's some tools that were early on doing it, like Framer was one. Um, there were some hacky things, like Adobe had this weird one that tried to use percents for layout. Didn't work well. Yeah. They deprecated it. Um, but Figma's auto layout is what they call their sort of Flexbox system that you showed. Works quite well. And it makes the handoff cleaner and easier. And, you know, with Builder, it can sort of auto-generate 80 80 90 percent of it and you could skip the image uploading and stuff and optimize all that for you automatically uh but one thing that's funny to note too is this can be polarizing to designers i would say of who we worked with 90 percent of designers love that they can have this tight specific control that they don't have to have this complete handoff to a developer where the developer honestly when i've been i was a designer in a past life um like about 10 years ago and i've been a developer too so i've been on both sides of the handoff and it's awful for both if you're the designer <laughs> you pass it off the developer butchers it and they can't see that the padding's off the kerning's off all these things are off so you redline it and they still only get 80 percent of it and it's just infuriating you just want to get your hands in there and fix the thing because they're not seeing the the obvious mistakes and for the developer, it's awful as well because, like you showed, it's so tedious. Yeah, like, or, or uh, you're like sitting in a framework too, and you're like, our framework needs to do this specific thing. Please design to that. Like it's always this fight back yes. and forth. It can be awful, but and so it's funny. So about 80, 90 percent of designers work with love that they can go in, they can do that one level deeper, make sure everything's exactly the way they wanted, no red lines or anything, and then it just pulls into another tool like us. The funny thing is about 10 percent don't want to do that. They're just like, I made the design. That's my job. You are the team responsible for making it responsive and stuff. Leave me out of it. <laughs> um, and that's, I mean, it's a small percent of the designers, but it does happen. So it depends on what your ideal team workflow is and who, where you want the division responsibilities. But believe me, for a small team or a highly collaborative team, you know, this process works well with the note that there's the learning curve on the auto layout side. But it, it are uh, someone we used for creative direction early on did all of uh, their designs in auto layout. It was awesome because all of, if you drag a button and you change the button text, the button resizes perfectly. If you drag a layout and you change the image size and stuff, everything responds. So you can make design systems in Figma down to extreme detail and it's beautiful. And so anyway, I'll start ranting about it, but yes, I think. You no, it's great. I mean, it's a perfect thing to cover for sure. And I feel like designers and developers, if they start to understand this together, you won't like butt heads as much for sure. And you can work better yes. together. So yeah, okay, like cool. a common language, common set of primitives. It, it really is cool. 
So for the next step, what we're going to do, I'll flip back over to um, the browser, maybe. Uh, why, why do I not like keep prepping these screens <laughs> for us? It's just terrible. If I share my screen, it's 4K and never works. So that's why I always have to break out to different windows. I think it's hard too for designers. They have a static mindset almost, and you're creating this dynamic content that is not always going to be the same. So you have to wrap your head around that a little bit. It can be difficult. Yes. And some just like the promise of it and they like to learn. And some are just like, what the heck? It's just, <laughs> I just want this here and I just can't get it there. It's always going here and there. And yeah, it drives people crazy at first. For sure. So we're going to take this page. This is the one with all the, the crazy images on it. Um, and we're going to jump over to my local server. So this local server is completely empty right now. Um, and as, as like we kind of look at this, what I'm going to do now is actually jump into Builder and bring up this local page. And we'll talk a little bit about, I, I think we got into the component a little bit in our, our part one. Um, we'll talk about how this is working a little more in detail. So let me bring up Builder. And remind us too, this is a Next.js site, if I remember right. This is, yeah. And we'll take a look at the code and kind of how that works as well. But yeah, this is on Next.js. But Steve, as as you could tell everyone, this will work on Angular. This will work on React, whatever site you're looking for. We actually, Brittany and I did a little sample on, on Svelte using web components. So there's a lot of, yes. lot of options coming from Builder for sure. Support React Native now. We've got Flutter coming. We've got native iOS. It's... Pretty wild to be able See, to. See, I didn't even know we had Flutter coming. It's exciting. <laughs> it's been uh, requested by some important people. No no promise on dates yet, but we're starting the R&D process on that side. And obviously, uh, everything builder under the hood is just uh, platform agnostic, but building out the renderers, sometimes it's a simple thing. Sometimes it's more advanced. We're doing the research on Flutter to see, is it easy or not? React Native was super easy. Flutter, I think it'll be easy, but we'll find out soon. <laughs> Cool. Um, same concepts, which is cool. Uh, Flutter has that same kind of block design. So awesome. Exactly. Um, all right. So I'll bring up Builder now. So this, what Builder is doing right here, we've jumped into our sponsorship page within Builder. So Builder, again, is, is software as a service. You come into it and you start designing your pages. What you'll notice here is that Coding Cat, we have our kind of layout all built already. So the header's there, the footer's there. But there's this special block sitting right in the middle that's all for our builder content now, which is kind of magical. Um, so if you look at this local host, we are still on my same server. There's there's nothing else going on except for this block. So if I wanted to start using this block, I can just drop things into it like an image just like that. But what we wanted to do is not have our images. So I'm going to take that out. I'm going to delete this. What I'm going to do now is say, okay, I want to take those things that we built in Figma and start moving them over. So I will once again share Figma. On the Figma side of the house, there's this cool plugin that the builder team was, is that correct? Or was this an open source type of project? Uh, this was us. Uh, okay. We made it. It's funny. It's evolved over time. The original version um, is part of the first feature, which is you can take any website and import it as editable Figma layers. So it's really easy to say, like, I want to edit design of this site or page. 
pull in a figure, edit, etc. And then as you'd imagine, the number one most requested feature was go the other way. <laughs> Turn my design into code. And we're like, hey, we have a product for that. Let's just tie those things together. And hence, you know, you'll see the beta version of, of what you're going to use now that does that. Awesome. So I've already installed the plugin and we'll put a link on the, the site for this as well in the description. But when you right click on this um, frame, uh, for lack of a better word, layer, you can basically do it on any layer. I'll go to plugins and it might throw you a little off uh, here. I always look for builder and it's not named builder. <laughs> so it's Figma to HTML, CSS, React and more. I, I think is more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We support a lot of frameworks. Uh, um, I'm the one who keeps editing that title. I'm not sure I like <laughs> this one, but so be it. <laughs> I like it. It's like, and more. Um, <laughs> so at, at this point, what we're essentially going to do is take our, our code, or if you will, or design. And we're going to actually move that over to code. So I've selected a specific layer, which is this um, sponsorship is perfect for. I'm going to generate the code. I'm going to click this button. And you can't see this, but it just popped up a window. And let me, uh, let me move this to the correct spot. Okay. So I'm going to jump over to that window that just popped up. This is the fun part of working with a 4K monitor. <laughs> yeah. I know it. It's brutal. So we, we have our, our complete sponsorship um, layer right here ready to go. And so what I essentially want to do, and I, I think we can do this, and Steve will have to correct me. This is, this is showing how new I am um, at Builder. Where did my other screen go? It's a second tab. No, no, there it is. There you go. <laughs> I'm going to move those together so I don't have to guess. <laughs> okay, so we're going to take this layer and Steve, if if I'm correct, I can just copy this and bring copy it pasta over here. Command right? C, Command V. Yep. All right. So, Command C, pop over. You can do it anywhere. It'll figure Holy it out. There you smokes. go. So magically. Like this is already just kind of out there and ready to go, right? Yeah. So now if I were to publish this and uh, just go to my local host right here. Oops, local sponsorship. A little slow because we're running locally, but this should come up. Uh, it'll be cached for cache. a moment. There you go. There you go. So there's there's our complete frame. Um, it's not perfectly aligned. Like we got to do a few more things, but essentially we just moved that whole layer over to Builder. And so if we wanted to like start tweaking things and moving things over here, um, and this this is the part that we probably really want to dive into at this point. Now that we've brought these things over, we can start editing and moving things within Builder. So I wanted to show off kind of the different styles. So when we move this box over, the CSS styles came with it and we have CSS properties right here. Here's all the flex properties that we were talking about before. So this is all of the, the different CSS that Figma called auto layout and we've converted it over to use um, just straight up CSS in browser logic, right? So Correct. if you said, I don't, I don't like the way this is looking, we need to move X, Y, Z around, um, we can go out here and say, 
you know what? Actually, we want this thing a max width of 800 picks and go down that road. I think we probably have some other things kind of happening here on our site. So we would have to tweak our site um, around this, but. Can you do a margin of auto on the horizontal axis? Yeah. Totally. Let's try that. You could even, you can do it the fancy way at the top under the align section. Do the center align, the two arrows pointed inward. There, there you go. You go. <laughs> Added two margin autos. That's one funny thing we try and do, by the way, is we try and it's a whole like challenging thing in its own. We've learned, but we try and like do this mapping between like the designer mindset, like align controls and generating the right code, like margin auto and allowing you to control both. It actually can be double-edged sword, but it can be very fascinating. So that was one little example of a typical align control letting you do what the developer wants, which is margin auto, but you also could have similarly just gone to the margin control and, and set it to yeah. auto manually as well. Can you take the max width off of it too? Do the full width and see if it will be responsive. Yeah, that's, yes. I just took it off. So let me, change, let me put uh, it back on real quick. So there's the 800. Mm -hmm. And then here's with nothing. And then you can do, if you go back to the alignment, you can change it to the far left option. That'll stretch it all the way out. If that's what Brittany was referring to. There you yep. go. And we can align. So the Figma design used padding, but if you select a box inside, we can center align that might look nicer. The like immediate child layer. Yeah. I, I got to go back to the, uh, the double layout. I'm so used to it. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I got to do style over here and my layers over here. Yeah, it looks like we don't have a container wrapper around the builder stuff in Coding Cat. So we're not getting that margin around yeah. the outside. In our Figma design, we have one box on kind of the, the total top here, mm -hmm. which if you forget that and you want to come into Builder and do it, all you have to do is drop this box in and then you can drop all that stuff back in there. And take that top box and say max width of 1200, which still looks a little weird, but <laughs> isn't it 2000? Isn't that what we had it? I think it needs a margin, but also you'll want to get rid of that height property. That oh, box, yeah. uh, Thank yeah, you. that's there you go. There you go. So that's what we're looking for. And then from there on out, like Steve, from your perspective, what companies are kind of doing right now is like we have this kind of set and we'd probably take the rest of those blocks and start stacking them in how we want them. But at the end of that, you're probably like, well, our design's pretty decent at this point. This gives us a really good uh, head start. But do you see companies kind of shifting at that point to just like giving that to their marketing team or whatever and saying, here's your page, do whatever else you want with it? Exactly. So that's the most beautiful part is there seems to be this like idea in uh, engineers minds that, you know, a request from say marketing is brought in, you do the thing and it's done. And engineers, I think, often fail to realize marketing is a constantly moving thing. So that's just the first version, just like your code. We're going to need to do a many, many subsequent versions since just like many things, the more quickly the marketing team can try new versions and look at analytics and things like that, the more they can actually grow your business that you're both part of the same team of. It's something we've noticed and, and we were trying to create some education around this that, you know, and, and I was very guilty of this in my last job 
is that it can be hard for some reason, you know, engineers go so deep into their worlds and sometimes it's easy to forget the larger business context that's employing you. <laughs> and uh, that business needs to always be growing and learning. And a lot of that learning is from the amazing features you're making. But a lot of it's also just things like messaging, positioning and other things that in my old engineering life, I really did. I honestly took for granted. I was like, ah, it's easy stuff or something, like admittedly. And I've learned through this experience at Builder, that can be actually equally, if not more hard than the engineering. And it needs the same sense of the ability to release constantly and iteratively. Um, and so in this context, uh, that is a great first version. And you would usually hand that off to your marketing team and they'll go in, they'll try uploading a new image, they'll try changing colors. And uh, you can use whatever tooling you already use because it's your stack. So if you use an Amplitude or other tools to look at, you know, this version of the page converted more, that's great. Or Builder, Builder has a ton of built-in tooling too. So every edit, you can look at analytics and a heat map inside Builder to say, oh, you know, people didn't like the purple backgrounds. <laughs> probably is something to, to be aware of or more likely it's usually what value props you display. Sponsorship gives you X, Y, Z. You can use like the heat maps in Builder to see, and there's a funny hack we learned for some reason, people tend to click on something they like, whether it's a link or not. <laughs> so we see a lot of e-commerce websites have this nice image where there might be like a model and like products, you know, floating around her. And you look at the heat map and like everybody's clicking on this pair of shoes and it's pretty obvious it's not a link. <laughs> um, but people click it anyway just to see. And it's a funny way to just read people's minds like, oh, they like those shoes or like your value props. You know, if you look at the heat maps and builder, you know, a few weeks from now, uh, or depending on your site traffic, it could be the next day if it gets a ton of traffic. Um, you might see that uh, people are clicking on one of your value props and not the others. That's a good time to be like, hmm, I guess people care about that more than that. Let me mix up the ones that won't work, work working. And then you start seeing, uh, we probably need a name for this, but you start seeing your heat map smooth out. You start seeing pretty equal distribution of clicks. Then you're like, this is pretty optimized. That's a good way to learn, you know, what interests people into sponsoring or, or things like that. And it could be fun to have that direct control, try these things without being coupled to code releases and uh, learn quickly and, and see what that has a result on your impact. In your case, conversion rate of people wanting to sponsor. In the case of e-commerce, conversion rate of people wanting to buy, all that good stuff. This is probably a great time to say Builder is one of our sponsors. So so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We're a big believer uh, in podcasts and all your material. Here, I think. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> cool um so let's nerd out a little bit now so we we talked like designer world uh creating in figma bringing that over to to the builder side and you you talk how important that is through marketing and all those fun parts then the next thing is i'm a developer i want to know what's happening now like that's great i've i've used wix i've used all these other sites and I'm not going to say they're really bad, but they're really bad. <laughs> like uh, the, the performance is rough on a lot of those sites. So you have to start doing like caching and all this fun stuff. But the important thing, like when we were going through this, um, I'm going to bring us all up. So maybe we can talk about this. The, the key to Builder and the way we have it right now is it's just Next.js. But tomorrow, if Brittany said, which I'm sure she will, I want to do this in Svelte. <laughs> Like, what do I have to change on my my builder visuals to get that to work? Uh, literally nothing. That's the really exciting part. Uh, right. It's not even just React to Svelte. It's even like uh, React to iOS or Flutter or whatever. It's the the key thing here is the abstraction level that we do is is fully platform agnostic. So. 
Um, I'm going to wave my hands to give you a sense of what the data looks like. But really, all those layers in Builder are um, these simple, we call it sort of an intermediary representation. So it's like in compiler terminology of your source code and usually compiles to some type of intermediary representation like um, an AST or in other cases, it could look or feel different like an LLVM. You know, it's a very specific format that they can do a lot of optimizations on and output to different um, architectures and input from different uh, programming languages. Uh, so we have a similar intermediate representation that's a set of objects. It's basically just like, you know, you want an image here and you want it to lines like this and you want a section here and you want it to look and feel like this. Um, that's completely agnostic to your tooling. So it means that our visual editor can write to that format. It actually means other visual editors, like a fully open source one, or um, even we have this cool project called Mitosis that allows you to write JSX that imports to that format, <laughs> which is interesting. And so when you can allow multiple targets to import to this IR format and then output to um, either ahead of time compiled code, so just straight up generated Svelte code that you can copy and paste into your code base, which can be a great way to get started. It becomes tedious and annoying when your marketing team wants to make more updates. That's why mm -hmm. we suggest the API-driven flavor where we do um, like just-in-time rendering. We'll talk about in a second. But it does mean that this format can transform into you know, just normal Svelte code, React code, iOS code, et cetera, which is quite cool. And it can include not just layout, but Builder can visually do, oh, there you go. Yes, this is a great example. This is our mitosis code generation. Uh, yeah, it's not even just React. It could be React with style JSX. It could be React with style components. It can be Vue with Vue 2, Vue with Vue 3. Um, it's quite cool, and it's it's quite simple to actually make these, these generators uh, based on that IR format that we have, which is kind of nice. Uh, Angular, uh, you can support different styles of each of these things. I think we'll have Quick in there soon. We actually have a lot more targets that we don't even list there. We just kind of keep adding them. Um, but what it means is, that whatever you make in Builder can be ported to different technologies. So we see a lot of people create a page in Shopify and it could it's not just a static page. It could have interactions. It could be connected to the product catalog. When you click this, you set some custom animation to happen, all done visually. And then you go from that rendering natively to Shopify to you migrate your website to Next.js because you want a little more control, a little more speed. And so developers have to rewrite the entire site except everything in Builder just works across. It makes both the process of migrating easy as well as the workflow easy. We've seen people like Adams.com migrate from Shopify to Gatsby super easily because they could allow the same builder content to run on both sites in parallel. And they had essentially configuration to say, okay, our homepage will be on Gatsby, but our product page isn't fully migrated. So that's gonna be on Shopify, but there's probably the same builder content on both of the sites. And so it makes it really easy to centrally manage. Uh, or another simple example too is Afterpay going from their Afterpay actually did three migrations. Um, they went from a Ruby on Rails style setup. I think it was a different Ruby framework, but you get the idea. To Next.js carrying everything across, and then they wanted to add the builder content to the native app, and it just carries across. <laughs> so the React native app, their Rails app, their Next.js app, same content centrally managed. Uh, it's really cool how it all, all works. And that is incredibly powerful. <laughs> It's cool, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's exciting. I wasn't, I'll be completely honest, I wasn't even sure if this was going to be possible when we started this project. But, you know, when you start off in a direction with some type of new technology space, some things become wildly harder than expected and some things are wildly easier. And that was actually one of the weirdly easy ones based on the, the foundation we started, which I guess was from some past research and development, me being obsessed with compilers and all this weird stuff. Um, 
But I forgot to mention too, so you showed uh, Alex the ahead of time compilation, the code generation. We also have just in time compilation, which is what most people use, which is really, really valuable to teams because it means that you know you can make that sponsorship page, you can get it live, um, deploy any code updates you made for it, but you can hand it off to somebody else who's not a developer and they can keep publishing new tests without you deploying new code because there's a little tiny um, component that you added to your code that can take any of that JSON format that we have, which is all API driven. You can read and write it and our plugins can mutate it. It's very extensible kind of like Figma and Figma plugins. Uh, we have a very similar plugin system on our side, um, but it means that, yeah, that one builder component you add in your Next.js site can take in any JSON, render essentially anything. And it's very lightweight in how it does it. And so you can just publish new updates, create new pages, et cetera, and your code's not changing. And that allows you to not just, you know, try new things and look at, you know, analytics, did this improve anything, uh, but allows you to do dynamic things like A-B tests. You can say, oh, run this as an A-B test now. Now that page looks different to different people based on, you know, whatever criteria you like. Or you can do personalization, like uh, the Vercel team just uh, recently announced like Edge Middleware. So now you can have that one component render different things to different people based on their shopping history or whatever. And sorry, I'm getting abstract and esoteric, but this level of dynamicism, if that's even a word, <laughs> enables all these cool, powerful use cases that our customers really rely on. They see all this great benefit of being able to learn and move so much quicker. Yeah. yeah. Especially in the current ecosystem, I feel like it's moving so fast that companies do want to change. Like every couple of years, they're like, oh, let me just do this new framework. And this makes it so easy for them. It, it's, it really comes back to page speed all the time, right? Like if they want moved up their Google search, they want basically static content moving them to the top. And then the, like with our quick product, you can take all that static and then it slowly becomes, you know, uh, interactive as, as you go along. So we're seeing that with Astro too, and probably a ton of other frameworks that are, are coming out at this time too. Yeah. This movement away from more JavaScript to yeah. less JavaScript. Yep. It's seriously yes. interesting right now. And it has um, one other additional funny caveat too, which is that, um, you know, the majority of a lot of people moving to the less JavaScript, uh, but some people JavaScript is, is less of an issue. It's the runtime performance that's more important. So you start seeing this fragmentation of like, you know, I'm a developer and I just want to write a component, but like, if I want to optimize later, if I realize my component needs to be optimized for extreme runtime performance, SolidJS is probably the best framework for you. Um, but you sometimes don't know that going in. But then if you want like page load time, like it's more kind of public consumer facing pages like e-commerce or other things. Yeah, you probably want quick uh, Astro or something else. Uh, but you often just don't know that at the time of building your website. Right. One funny thing we did recently is we just flipped a switch to make our entire website go from Next.js to quick and the performance score just shot up <laughs> because it was written at, a, at an abstraction layer that you could just change outputs at any time. And it was, it was, it was pretty wild. It was a pretty cool little experiment and we're excited about seeing other people being able to have that flexibility and control and what they do with it. Yeah. And since we're talking about this, I'll put a link in too, but we have this cool new, uh, not new, but the beta release is coming out for party town and should probably be out by the time this podcast comes out. Um, and that is going to take all your third-party JavaScript that's running, so your analytics and, and all this other stuff that you often have running, and it moves that off uh, the main thread and into some other service workers and things like that. And that's how we got our, our main site off up to 100%. Like, it was quick as well, but Party Town was a huge win. And uh, read all about that coming up. I'm going to dive back into a little sample that I have uh, going. And Steve, this is probably a little preview for you as well. But 
Um, we are talking all about symbols. Um, actually, you might be able to describe this better than I can. So I'm going to stay on our faces a minute here. <laughs> so symbols are a thing that um, if you think of them from a developer standpoint, I basically call them components. So if you create a React component, an Angular component, it's, it's going to be one of these things that has inputs that you can dynamically change as you go along, but you can also reuse that component across different things. Uh, I think this is something that exists in Webflow. Shopify has something similar. Do they call it symbols, I believe, maybe? Um, I, I think-ish. I think the best comparisons are definitely Webflow symbols and Figma components. They're the closest things out there, yeah. Okay, and so I, I full, fully admit this is part of a, a little video that we're putting together for Builder, but I wanted to show it off here because I, I think it calls out like everything we've shown so far is like, yeah, that's great, Alex. This is kind of a cool, a static site you just generated and pulled together. But here's, here's the amazing part in, in my mind. So I'm going to jump out to the wrong screen again. <laughs> I'm going to jump out to something that I'm working on for a little demo that we're doing. Um, I hope this is it. Yeah. So on our builder docs, uh, there's this like need for a card. This is completely fake example, but let's say we needed a card. And so I created this like new city, Grand Rapids, Michigan, shout out GR, Brittany. <laughs> Anyways. Um, so 616. I, there, there you go. The 616. Um, so I created this card out here and essentially, can you guys see that? Okay. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now I can't. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> let, me, let me bump this up. Okay. There we go. Okay. When you get done creating something like this, you're like, man, I, I could like make 20 of these. And it's really easy to be like, okay, well, I'll just copy and paste and then we'll have a bunch of stuff. What you can do instead is click this and you can convert it to a symbol. And what makes that symbol nice. So let's pretend I just did that. Here's where it took me to this new symbol page. On this new symbol, similar to how like other components would work, like let's pretend this is a React component if you use React, um, this card title would have this title over here, and now I can change that on the fly. So now I can do things like make all kinds of components out of that one component, driving different data in the background and if you think about this from a component standpoint, let's say you're designing all of these in Builder and you're using Builder CMS, you can then hook up to data. Or let's say you're like in Sanity already, but you want to visually design this. I could take these components now and hook it up to my Sanity data and then link all these inputs in so that they change. Um, and instead of like this being manually typed in as best food or best view, it would just populate directly out of your sanity data coming in. So you can hook up all these other CMSs too, or like, let's say you're crazy legacy, like I used to work out of and you have SAP RFCs. Now I'm visually designing all of my like marketing pages and everything else. I'm hooking up to SAP data APIs. Boom, I've got my site. Then you could statically build the whole site up too. So cool yes. symbols, FYI. Th those are the things that you cannot do with, the Wix and uh, so all those other things. Is that like creating a component in Figma that looked very similar? Like it makes a component. So that's kind of your source of truth for yep. everything. Okay. Exactly. So I, I had, let me switch back over there. I had dynamically created um, the ability to change like color, if you will. 
But what okay. I what I can do, and this is part of the example, so I'm glad you brought it up. Um, notice how this photo is right here. It's above all of my like Grand Rapids. Uh -huh. Let's say I just wanted to move this. So this is my my main uh, component, if you will. So this is my main symbol. I move that down because no one liked it. No, I publish that update. I come back over here to refresh. This is, this is an idea I put out there for loading, by the way. So we're working on it. <laughs> and yes. Change. And boom. My, all of them. Anywhere I would have this symbol magically changes across it all. So as a designer, like that becomes hugely powerful, right? Now my, my card component that my developers often have to create, right? Like you're always creating a card component, button component, whatever. The designer can actually create this component now and say, hey, I want to tweak this for this version, or you could create a, a duplicate symbol, whatever you want to do. And now all of a sudden you have all these components That's in your crazy. visual CMS that you're just playing with. And it's like you're almost coding on the fly because you get all the inputs. You can have data flowing into them. Can it's you a whole different world, whole different set volume. those to different production environments so they could be playing on like a dev environment and then you could have like the main like that main component wouldn't affect the main production branch. Yeah, so I'll let Steve do this one, but I think there's versioning and everything else, right? Yes, no, exactly. You can do versioning, you can use, the funny thing is we give a lot of, for better or worse, a lot of low level engineering primitives, right? So you can create custom fields on anything. So you can create an environment field and say, okay, I'm gonna create my field and say, this is only going to the staging environments. And then, yeah, exactly. You'd be working fully in staging, preview it there and then migrate it or just flip it off to production and it shows there. It's interestingly builder under the hood is structured like a headless CMS. And honestly, a headless CMS is just a thin layer of a database <laughs> where you just have fields and you generate UIs form instead of the fields, right? I've been saying so, that for like a week. <laughs> yes. I don't know if many people in the CMS sort of space like to say that. I yeah. guess I've always said that from the start for better or worse, but I guess we have this fancy designy thing. So if we want to say we're doing anything special, we point to that. Um, but that is all it is. And I think that's the right mental model. And what's interesting is when you layer, you know, this visual editor and all that dynamic uh, features on top of it, you know, you can also do funny things too. Like we made a card in Builder and it was to list out all of our integrations. And we kept noticing our integrations page kept going out of date of our actual integrations that display in our app. And then one day we were like, oh, duh, as <laughs> our integrations list in our app is actually just data from an API, we can easily visually connect that to our integrations marketing page. And now it just always is in sync. It's always listing the integrations with the nice card formatting, the image text, everything. And uh, it really works the same way you would write that in React, just fully visually and um, we're working a lot on the education side now to make tutorials and other content to make it easy for people to learn this because we found you know in the earliest days it was just incredibly important to us to have feature completion like really end-to-end -end, you can do the critical things you need to do it supports the tech stack it supports the features etc and then you learn that um, well, people need to understand how to do this stuff and you have to make really good education content and it turns out you know if you look at something like Webflow University they have a very powerful drag and drop system as well, they have to put a ton of time and resources to making really good educational material. I mean, you always make the UX, uh, you're always working on that too. And it's uh, it's a constant sort of like things we're playing with, but yeah, you can do wild stuff in this. And a lot of it is not even documented. It's just stuff that we've been doing and we're trying to kind of share with the world now, like you can do crazy stuff with this. 
I will say that Webflow seems like it's better than the code that it outputs because their production quality of their video tutorials is ridiculous. Yes. Brittany <laughs> told me like just before Christmas, she's she's tired of seeing the one video come up from Webflow. I'm like, it's amazing <laughs> though. Just enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> they do a great job. And, you know, we've been trying to learn and, and emulate a bit of what they do right and as expected, we're always like, they put a ton of time and resources into this. This was not a small job, no matter where you try and dice it up. And it's just, you know, par for the course. But what's cool about it, in my opinion, is, you know, a lot of what Figma auto layout and Webflow and we're trying to do is trying to build this shared understanding of web development or development in general, right? So they're teaching designers with no coding skills how to code the fundamentals of responsive design, even if you uh, learn Webflow for a personal website, you can take all of that knowledge or a huge portion of it back into, say, your design job at a tech company, and you understand the response of primitives way better, and you can communicate with your development team way better. I mean, I've worked with way, way in the past on the development side, I've worked with designers who maybe came from a more graphic design standpoint, so they only worried about, you know, say, print, it was always the same aspect ratio in some cases, really hard to wrap their head around like you know padding and some other nuances and it made the uh, collaboration challenging at times but the more everyone has this shared knowledge shared understanding shared primitives of just responsive design really makes the collaboration better and the tools can automate some of this but just the ability to work together and speak the same language i think is quite huge for the industry yeah and as we always talk about it's hard to describe to people because it's a totally different space now it's something that sits between your cms and kind of your actual output for like Next.js or whatever site you're using on that side too so it's it's this cool new thing and it's a new way to wrap your head around i want to definitely could be a challenge uh, um point is it out. kind of like a, could you think of it as a middleware Kind of. We do see it as just like Alex described. You've got a website and you've got data like your CMS going to it, but you've got to hard code every template. But you have these great components and you can actually, with Builder, insert something in the middle that allows you to create those layouts using your components or whatever. And it, it does kind of become middleware. I think a lot of people don't like the sound of middleware for some reason, <laughs> but it really does. It is a middle. We like to call it a new layer. That's one of the fundamental challenges we have is just that this is sort of a brand new thing. And it's something that can give people a knee-jerk reaction. They're like, oh, this looks like Dreamweaver. It's like, no, it's not. <laughs> We've learned from the mistakes of the past, but there's a lot of education. There's a lot of explaining. And I think as Alex has noticed, there's a lot of getting your hands on and then going, oh, this, oh, I get it. This is, I can use this. This works how I need it. Stuff like that. There's a lot of aha moments. It's, it's crazy once you think about the flexibility and then it's some decisions on like what works best for your, your team, your flow, like that whole bit. But we're looking at it today, putting it into like coding cat as like a piece of our site, just kind of popping it into something that already existed. But I see this more powerful as being component driven development where you create your components and build up your site around those components and then that is you can take that anywhere so here's here's the yes. crazy question Brittany, and, and this is something to ponder and this is why it's a new space and it's super fun and why i went to work for them when we talked the first time i was just like ah this is just another headless cms whatever <laughs> I, i'll do the the podcast and we'll have fun but then we started digging into it more and you talk component driven design us as developers go, okay, so we'll go create your hundred components that you need to run this website. In this context, you could say, I want that one builder component on my entire site. That's all that runs it from a development standpoint. And now your designers or your marketers can be the people to create those symbols 
And that's a different version of component driven design. And now you got to like start to realize like, oh, what works, what works really well where? Because you could start out that way and then go, well, I need this super interactive, crazy component that we need to build out of React. You can expose that out to Builder and then that marketer can use it too. So yeah. now you've got like a whole nother layer of it too. So it's just like endless possibilities. It's just mind blowing. What's cool is, yeah, we've really seen two flavors of this. And I love the term component-driven development. I'm going to use that <laughs> because uh, I, I do agree. The thing we're noticing, and I think something we need to evangelize more, is people need to invert the way they think about building a website. You need to stop thinking about it as like, I'm going to build the structure. I'm going to build the header and the footer and the content of the homepage, content of the product, the content of the whatever page, and just think about the opposite. And actually, some the best example I've seen about this in the wild that I don't think gets enough credit is... Um, Shopify's sections everywhere is essentially this. So in Shopify's latest store editor, uh, developers just create sections, effectively components in their liquid um, templating language. And then you don't create the scaffold of the website at all. The teams take those building blocks and construct all the different pages of the website. Honestly, it's a way better workflow everybody should be using. But when it comes to modern development like Svelte, React, et cetera, just no tooling has existed to enable this. And so where we've sort of hit product market fit is people just, you know, they want to throw up some more pages faster so they add builder. But something we really need to start evangelizing is, no, you need to invert the process. You need to just make components and have a tool like builder and just a scaffold of your site, allow your team to assemble and run tests and do all this stuff. And then you can take it one level further, which is more of what Alex is saying and how we run our website. So our website started like this, components. But then you realize that actually, you know, the, the balance can be different for any company, like a large company, like a Vistaprint, they kind of want it locked down, design system driven, you know, pretty, pretty um, strict around what can be done in the visual editor. Other companies like Everlane or ourselves, um, we want a lot of flexibility. So on one side, a Vistaprint has an enormous amount of components and they lock it down to, you must use the components, the design system. Mm -hmm. And then on the other extreme, like Builder's website, most of it is just made in the visual editor and we just add components as needed. So a nice, you know, code previewer with syntax highlighting the copy, you know, to clipboard button. Awesome. You just make the component, use it in the designs as you wish. And we've seen people strike the balance in enormous different ways. In fact, uh, Everlane's a good example too, or Adams does some cool things as well. Where like some pages like their homepage might be pretty design system, you know, use the React components oriented, but then they'll just do these like, you know, uh, Adams uh, announced this like Bitcoin shoe and they made the coolest page I've ever seen for it. And it was of like 99, it was, I think it's got like a Bitcoin logo on it. It was hilarious. And what's funny is when they announced it, I was so like, I don't get crypto as hype is weird. Now I've kind of flipped and I'm a big fan of web three. There's still too much hype or like wrong hype. I uh, don't, don't send me down this rabbit hole. Anyway, I do. I'm more of a fan of crypto than I used to be with some, some, uh, nuances. Um, but this page they made was just amazing. And it was mostly made in the visual editor, but had one component for this, like bespoke, um, canvas based interactive. It was crazy. This like digital mesh. It was the craziest page I've ever seen. And Everlane will do that too. You know, some main pages are nice, clean, normal Everlane, but a brand new launch just wow wild page and it's exciting they'll do a social media campaign around it they'll send the traffic people love it and now everlane's gone even further and they've made more core pages bespoke so unlike a lot of websites that are kind of just a thin layer of a database at least e-commerce right there's like a homepage and there's the collection just a grid of products and then there's the full-size product view and it's just essentially the database just in a different lens um now when you go to everlane and click denim 
it's this fully bespoke page. You see like, you know, models wearing the denim that almost go like full screen and the options to the side. It's crazy. So now, you know, I remember um, their, their prior CEO, Michael, uh, one time met up, he's an investor at Builder and he was showing me their latest um, physical store. And he was showing me like all they did in the design. They made it very, very minimal, beautiful, bespoke. And he had so much passion for that physical store. And it's sad to see people's websites. People don't always have the same passion for it. Just, you know, like, oh, it's just got to be boxes and whatever. And it was just exciting to see that sort of mindset of really, really well tailored, curated experiences brought to the website based on what you're shopping. You see the different things, which is also like I was trying to buy um, a wetsuit. I'm trying to get into surfing and I was trying to buy a wetsuit and I was on Decathlon's website and I was trying to filter down a wetsuit that's like for surfing, for cold weather, you know, men's size, whatever. And I was struggling to. And so my partner convinced me to go to the store and the store was so much better laid out because it had a section for surfing and a section for surfing wetsuit. It said, these are for cold weather, all this stuff. And I was like, that's what on the website, I had to click through a thousand products to try and find. And it was actually so much better laid out in store. And anyway, I'll stop ranting about this, but with these types of tools, you can bring more of those kind of curated experiences and can make just your life better, the shopping experience better, the exploration of your site or apps better. And I don't know. I think it's the coolest I love thing, it. obviously. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we, we covered everything that I hoped to cover. Obviously, like I've been working um, with Builder. Granted, there's some holidays in there, but for like two months, I still can't quite get my arms around the whole thing. Like there's so much there. So I think it's a good time to shift over to our perfect picks. And I'll let Brittany go first today. And Steve, I think you might have a, a perfect pick you might want to think about. Let us know. <laughs> I'll take on it. That is my perfect (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So my first perfect pick is a talk that we have coming up next Tuesday. I think on listening date, it will be next Tuesday, January 18th with Steph Dietz. She is the DevRel for Spelt at Vercel. And she'll be doing a talk all about adapters and deploying in SpeltKit. That's awesome. That'll be super fun. Yes. I'm very excited. That'll be on the Spelt Society YouTube channel too. And my second pick is a show that we just binge watched over two days. Um, we had watched the first season right about the time the pandemic started and I fell in love with it. It was just kind of heartwarming to just not think about the craziness that was happening in the day. <laughs> so uh, we watched the first season of this in early 2020 and the second season just came out and we, like I said, binged it in two days and I really love it. That's a, that's a lot of binging. I got to tell you. I know. I Yeah. <laughs> Netflix makes it too easy to binge watch. Yeah. hundred <laughs> <laughs> um, percent. You might find this often with me going forward, but um, I love builder everything that's going on. So I got to pick our open source items. So if you go out to builder and uh, we're, we're working on some things, but uh, if you go to our docs under developer docs, You'll find at the very bottom this open source, <clears throat> excuse me, this open source feature here. And these are all the open source projects we're working on right now, which is crazy locked. So go check those out for sure. The second thing, and, and Steve kind of touched on this, but I just want to point out like Steve basically wrote all of Builder.io himself. <laughs> and then we started adding people to Builder and it's become more amazing. But we're still like super, super young and new. So we need you to go out to build our ideas and drop us ideas because 
anything you can think of or, you know, you want to work on and you want to see, um, we're obviously just scaling up the team and we're able to uh, implement these things pretty fast um, as they kind of get picked off. So go put your ideas in. We'll pick them. I promise. Awesome. I do have a third one just because somehow I was able to find after Christmas, we happened to walk into a mire and I said to my son, why don't you go see if they have Xbox Series X? Just jokingly. And he did. He ran over and the guy goes, I'm, I need you to go grab your dad because uh, <laughs> if he's here, I'll give you an Xbox Series X. And oh sure enough, gosh. they had one in the back room. So I, I had to buy it. It's amazing, amazing machine, and you can't find them still. Um, they're sold out everywhere. That but and the PlayStation thing, 5. For yeah. Sure. Did you get Halo? This thing right here, like if you look at the performance that comes out of this thing, it's insane. Like it's unbelievable right there. Look. I think he oh, asked if you got wow. Halo. Did you get Halo? I don't have Halo yet. I, I'm a big sports guy on the Xbox, so I have 2K22 right now, but... <laughs> I will play Halo. That was my first game ever in college for Xbox, so I have to. I keep seeing clips of it. Honestly, it looks uh, it looks like a very proper throwback. <laughs> like very much like it looks awesome. I, I keep going crazy that I keep people seeing people play it, and I'm like, oh, should I just go get the old Xbox? I have a PS4, <laughs> and I'm like, no, I gotta get the Series X. Ah, so I'm so jealous of you. That's the so Series cool. X is just it's unbelievable. I've had it for like two days, and I just like even the golf game. I I played it was uh i can never remember the name of it but um i was playing on the xbox one i always want to call it the 360 the one before um and the load time it's like ridiculous it used to like sit churn have to load some stuff now it's just like boom, go it's amazing we were lucky enough to get the playstation 5 last christmas and oh yeah it's fantastic too these are all like first world problems i'm still amazed by like an nes <laughs> so you know this is, this is all great but <laughs> cool well steve thanks so much for for taking some time out of your day and uh, coming to join us uh obviously we'll probably pop in builder content here and there throughout because it's an amazing product so thanks thanks so much for having me it was a ton of fun Thank you for coming. Take care. See you later.